Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. I'm coming to you today from the Pig Barn at the National Barrel Show in Austin, Minnesota. We'll call it the Old Timers Reunion. Hank Vogler, you classify as an old timer. Are you going to be in Austin, Minnesota today? Huh? Ooh. <laughs> yep, you fit right in. <laughs> you mind the time back in '09? Yeah, exactly. This is uh, actually a pretty significant deal, Hank. This is the 75th annual National Barrel Show. There are rumors about that. Uh, Hormel, which has been the original sponsor of this event, is going to pull out and no, no longer sponsored. So the question then becomes, will we continue to have the National Barrel Show? But I'd like to take you back to 75 years ago. This event was instrumental in the entire pork industry because all the hog buyers in the nation would be here and they were deciding where and what kind of pigs they were going to go for for the future. It's not that way anymore, but it still brings out all the old timers and that's why I come. Well, now, uh, hog prices have kind of moderated a little bit uh, with the African swine fever and all of that. And I guess the scary thing for a lot of people, I get, is the consolidation of the hog business along like the chickens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fewer people, bigger outfits. Uh, I don't know if that's right, wrong, or indifferent, but it's sure out there, isn't it? It has happened. But I have to tell you that somewhat COVID-induced, there's a swing back the other way. Um, five years ago, I, I sold all the boars I sold were pretty much for uh, purebred people doing some sort of purebred thing, whether that was raising gilts or show pigs, whatever the case may be. And now uh, I get calls to buy boars for people who are growing pork and supplying local demand. It, it, so, it, And I, I don't want to put that in the context that it's a big trend, but it is trending that way, if you know what I mean. Well, for somebody that's in an industry that the annual consumption per person in the United States is two pounds, it doesn't take much of a bump from the cheap foods to make a heck of a difference, as this year has certainly shown. My goodness sakes. Price of lamb is up tremendously, based mostly, everybody says, on the fact of the disappearance mm-hmm. of getting back to a, a smaller carcass, uh, a better carcass, of course, and uh, uh, local markets. Except you just embellished. Why do you have to embellish? It, the, the consumption of lamb per person, per capita in the United States is a half a pound. It's not two pounds. Well, excuse me. I, I thought I, I just was measuring out how much I eat. And you I are. Thought, I thought it was you are destroying uh, the bell curve, my friend. Oh, okay. Well, God love the bell curve, you know. Probably got me through kindergarten. I'm trying to help you, though. I eat lamb every chance I get. If it's on a menu, I order it. I don't care where I'm at, what I do, what I'm doing. Thank you. I would, if more people would, you know that. Uh, I guess at some point that's the part that gets scary when you get down that low 
the numbers and everything, and it's not on the menu. It's not right. out there being presented. Uh, how are you going to get it home? You know, when we were in Australia, uh, remember that we went in there. There was horse meat. There was mm-hmm. kangaroo. All those different meats in yeah. in the grocery stores, and it turned out to be shelf space. If if the product's not moving, the store's not going to present it. Yep, bottom line. It makes me wonder, though. I'll, I'll bet it's huge, the percentage of lamb. Okay, so if it is a half a pound, if my numbers are accurate, which I got from some USDA website, so we'll assume it's uh, somewhat accurate. Uh, would you guess that like 80%, 90% of that is consumed in a food service setting, not consumed at home? Well, I think that was always what everybody told us, that it was restaurants, restaurants, restaurant trade. And then, you know, so the rack and the leg was mm-hmm. all that they used. The rest of it kind of went into almost into dog food for a long time. Or, right. You know, uh, it, was, it was the poor man's meat or whatever. But I, with the COVID, the ladies found out that, by golly, that uh, telephone was uh, how they ordered before. Now they had to... Uh, figure out how to run the stove, I guess. And, you know, the home consumption just skyrocketed. And you know, ethnic groups, you, know, you can't throw them out. And they don't want overfinished lamb. They want right. uh, they want the New Zealand-type lamb that, and Australian-type lamb that went into consumption mm-hmm. at about the way we were putting them on feed. Let's. I agree with that 100%. Let's go back to something you just said that's changed. You said, accurately so, that the leg and the the rack and those primal cuts were used for human consumption. Everything else will go to dog food because it was a byproduct. Have you looked at what a lamb-based dog food sells for today? It's not like a byproduct. It's like if we can't get it in dog food, we'll just sell it to people. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the pet industry is just unbelievable. You know, more pe- people think more of their pets than their kids. They do. So, yeah. And, and, and there doesn't seem to be any limit to what they're willing to pay. For, you know, we got the special brew for the special breed of dog and on and on and on and on. So, again, uh, and what... What is considered lamb and what is considered byproduct? Uh, these overfinished lambs uh, right next door to a processing plant that makes dog food with the with the fat. Yeah, and it's lamb. It's fat off of a lamb, so it's it's a byproduct. So you're maybe not going to be able to convince those people to go back and hooking up uh, with a carcass the ways. You know, forty-five pounds versus a hundred pounds. So now you got me wanting a lamb chop for lunch. Well, stop by, by <laughs> golly, we had lamb. I had. Uh, I'm not uh, stopping by eat your lamb. You, you, you just have some old mutton that was about to die, and you put it in the freezer. I don't. I'm going to get a good lamb chop. 
Oh, well, excuse me. Mutton <laughs> stew's breakfast of champions, you know. <laughs> I ain't eating no Wheaties anymore. Look what happened to that Bruce Jenner. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not eating Wheaties ever again. <laughs> Anyhow. Is there anything going on in the world that kind of jumps out at you? I mean, everything is just kind of, you know, milk no. toasty. Isn't no, it? it's, all about, it's all about lamb. Yeah. I do. Yes. Good. Um, yeah, I, I am just kind of sitting out here in the middle of the pig barn, and people are going to stop by and say hi to Hank, so deal with that. But, no, <laughs> I, I don't know anything that's not involved with uh, the National Barrel Show or lamb consumption happening in the world. Everything else is pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah. I did find I did find a tremendous amount of comfort in the number and the places I saw pausing over the weekend for the anniversary of 9-11, though, that was pretty comforting. Yeah, and, and uh, what what's the deal? When, when are they going to call up the nursing home, or have they already? Uh, I mean, talk about elder abuse. Dragging that guy out, I, I can't even call him president because i don't think he is president yeah and and drag him before the public have him look at a teleprompter and then he screws that up yeah and then when he doesn't have a teleprompter he can't talk he won't talk to the press and you know donnie was supposed to be such a dink but every time he went towards these, the helicopter towards did anything he stopped and talked to the press now maybe he called them fake news but at least yeah. They had he, some copy. He, he stopped They don't him. have any copy with this guy. <laughs> he wanted to talk to him to tell him how they were contributing to fake news. That's what he wanted to do. <laughs> but, he <didn't, laughs> yeah. but he didn't need a teleprompter to do it. Hey, we got to go to a break. We're not going to talk about lamb for a moment. We're going to talk about tender beef, myostatin gene tender beef. Can you imagine? I told this to somebody yesterday on the phone driving up here. You know, we had limousine cattle. It was Ricky Portmiller, actually. I told this to. Works with Neogen. I said, you know, those limousine cattle we were working with in the early 90s, they had that tenderness gene. We screwed up. We didn't follow through on it. So now the Piedmontese folks, particularly at Lone Creek Cattle Company, have figured out how to put the myostatin gene. They didn't put it in there, but they've actually managed the cattle that possess the myostatin gene, which leads to tender beef supplies in a very functional package that perform equal to anything that we've been producing for quite some time. But you get paid more. That's the moral of the story. And it's shipping time. You're going to get that big check this fall. Details from Marlon Will at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. We're back with more Roll Route and Hank Boger from the National Apparel Show after this. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Trent Luce alongside Hank Vogler checking in from North Spring Valley, Nevada. I happen to be in the pig barn at the National Barrel Show because I wanted the ambiance of the pigs in the background working really well. Now, so this this would be like a county fair, only supersized, and, and it strictly deals with hogs. I doubt there's a county fair as small as this event is. <laughs> oh, it okay. used to be the prim, well, primo event. Hank, it used to be the primo event of the year, and uh, things have just changed. The biggest thing that's changed is that this purebred world today is so driven by the show pig industry, 
and sows for the show pigs are being bred in the month of September. I mean, if you don't breed your sows in September, you're not going to have what you want to sell. And so the breeding animals need to be home and being bred, and that has just all shifted to where back in the day when everybody came here, they were selling 200 boars a year, and they're looking for that next line of genetics. And the early days, folks really did bring truckloads, and there will be truckloads of barrels here today, and a truckload consists of six head. And uh, the, the packer buyers would be here and evaluate those. And really determine where they wanted to go source huh. their pork for the next year. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. And their number number of breeds of pigs is probably tremendous compared to now. No. Back then, now there's actually nine, ten, counting Tamworths. Uh, back in the day, they were pretty much just eight. We know and that. What, Durks, Yorkshires? In That's all we ever talked about when I was in school. Right. So, you know, I should look at registration numbers, but Berkshires are among the largest in terms of numbers. Yorkshires are still pretty big. Durocks are big. Hampshires are not what they once were. They're the one that have lost the marketplace. Uh, then the other breeds that have really excelled is Spots. Spot numbers are very good, and that's what we primarily raise. Polands still have a, a good grasp. Uh, Chester Whites. Landrace, Landrace do not have good in terms of numbers. But the two breeds that have uh, really accelerated in the past five years, Hank, would be the Tamworths and the Herefords. And the Hereford breed, that's a tremendous story. Uh, That was actually developed in the 30s by a family, a group of families in Iowa and Nebraska. But the Hereford cattle breeders wanted a breed of pigs that they could raise and be proud of. And so if you look at the charter membership of the Hereford Pig Association, it's like a who's who of yesteryear in the Hereford cattle business. And those Hereford genetics were uh, put together by blending a Chester White Poland female and a Duroc boar. And they, they selected those genetics for six generations until they got the consistent confirmation and color pattern that they want that represented or amplified a Hereford cow. And today they're quite prominent. I'll be darned. Well, well, they must have drugged some other genetics up there, too. I mean, just uh, when you pull the hide off of a Charlet or a, or any of them, they kind of look a, quite a bit alike, don't they? <laughs> no, they don't, actually. That's a misnomer. Because it's just like... You bring up the Charlotte. Well, let's look at the Piedmontese versus the Angus. When you take the hide off of them, you think, well, yeah, they all look alike. Well, they don't really when it comes to quality. And the Angus cattle driven quality in the, in the beef cattle business by talking about marbling. The Piedmontese cattle drive quality by talking about tenderness. So the, the well marbled carcass is going to look quite a bit different than the tender carcass. And the same thing happens in pigs. Uh, Berkshires have been the standard, the gold standard for meat quality because they have a higher pH, they have letter, uh, less water drip loss, uh, they retain capacity of that water better, which leads to a more tender, juicy eating experience. The hamsters lost their way because they did not focus on those eating qualities. They focused on leanness, and, well, it turns out that if you breed all the fat out of your loin, you don't like eating the chop. So there's a big difference. And what we've done with spots 
is that we've used the Berkshires as the standard for meat quality and selected spotted boars that will sire equal quality or superior quality to the Berkshires. And that's really kind of carved out our little niche in the pig world. So the PSE pork is gone. I'm not going to say it's gone, but that is exactly what got everybody's attention because the pale, soft, exudative pork, which is PSE pork, uh, would not retain water. When you cook it, it would dry up and just be like a piece of shoe leather. And that was the wake-up call that everybody said, hey, we can't do this anymore. we got to have something the consumer wants. Now, quite frankly, I talk about Berkshires, and they are tough to raise as a pure breed. But about 80% of all commercial swine today, no matter what state or province in Canada they are grown in, about 80% are sired by Duroc sires because the Durocs have always had that muscle quality eating characteristic and they grow better and more efficiently than a Berkshire. So they're kind of the creme de la creme in the commercial world for a terminal sire combining all of those things. And I like that. Uh, because that gives me the opportunity to have my little niche in the high-quality world of what, what we're doing with the spotted pigs. And by the way, spotted is not just a description well, of color. It's a breed. I know, I... Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I no, I just wanted that. to say that. I thought you were done. No, I, I just wanted to add as, a, as like an amendment after I got done. When I talk about spots, spotted pigs, it's not just a description of their color. It's an actual breed association, spotted swine registry. Well, all I know about raising any kind of livestock are the ones. There was a gentleman years and years ago that uh, was donating animals to the University of Nevada at Reno. Right. And I worked in the slaughterhouse. We had it for its day and time. It was considered a state-of-the-art slaughter facility sure and it was run by this gentleman that had grown up butchering animals his entire life and was very knowledgeable his name was bill reader i think he lived to be a hundred for goodness sakes well bill was in charge of this and this gentleman was donating a lot of animals and things to the university so we kind of had to take his breed over anybody else's obviously because he wanted results and we would get this animal into the chute and trip the trigger to roll him out on the floor to bleed him out and he'd get hung up in there we'd have to get a cable and drag him out the animal because he was such so huge and then we'd start to raise him up to obviously process him yeah and the head and the front shoulders would still be laying on the ground and Bill put a very sharp knife to my throat, grabbed me by the shirt, and said, if you ever go into this business, I will cut your head off. He was very angry. <laughs> you imagine if some professor did that to a student today? He'd get his head cut off. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, the, you don't, the, the student would own the university, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. He says, I'll kill you if you ever do this. This is not right. If you're going to do this, you should be raising Holstein bulls. So that, that was my brush with purebred genetics and uh, influence with money at universities. <laughs> you know, the art of butchery 
It's by necessity, it's going to come back. People are going to have to figure out how to butcher their own. I'm butchering more pigs at my house selling to people than I have ever. All sizes. Yeah, that, that used to be my Sunday job. I'd butcher 20 lambs in the fall and sell them around town. You better get back at it. Oh, no, wait. You don't need to this year. You sold them for $3 a pound. Never mind. <laughs> I wonder what the money's worth. That's the, that's the thing. You know, if you think back, uh, you could buy a ranch for what a pickup costs today. Yeah. So, and, you know, for me, and I, I know I dwell on politics too much, but one of the scariest, scariest things out there, not only is it, number of people in agriculture is so limited and 98 percent of all the corporate farms are families trying to hold their places together and pass them on to the next generation my daughter has come home she uh wants to step up and give it a try and i'm grateful for that's awesome my grandson's here Uh, yes and 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 again here we got all these things going on and we have a particular party that wants to raise the estate taxes that are just absolutely going to wipe out the next generation of ranchers. Yeah. It's going to be tough enough with the inflation and the, num- the, the the price per pound of animals is not kept up with the inflation on the land and inflation on everything else. It's going to be a very difficult road to hoe. And, and, and then to have a political party... It says it's okay to take everything away. Inheritance tax used to be uh, it was kind of a millionaire's tax, and people got, well, okay, that's all right. Those people got more than they need. Well, don't ever say more than they need. That's yeah. none of your dang business. Who needs what? It's roll route. It's my business. What the clock says. We'll be back with more Hank Vogler after this. Welcome back, Roll Route, Trent Lewis, alongside Hank Bugler, checking in north of Spring Valley, Nevada. And let me do my wine for a moment, because I'm not ready to give the inheritance to anybody. But, um, you know, if you were a Nebraska rancher, you'd have to pay the same inheritance tax to get it to your grandson. Plus, we get the great fortune, because we, are, we can probably say we ranch in Nebraska. It cost $105 per year per calf sold to pay a property tax each year. So you pay property tax each year of $105 per calf, which is an increase of 220% in the past 12 years. Then if you pass it on to your kids, you get to pay another 55, 60%. Who are we working for here? Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's, (laughs) and, and, and the government services. Uh, has shifted to uh, give everything to the people who are not willing to go out and and uh, spend 15 hours a day or whatever it takes yeah. to keep these things together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the that's the thing. You you see what they do with the money, and you go, whoa! And 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 making improvement. Talk about a regressive tax. Mm-hmm. Go out and, and build a new shed, fix a new fence, put in a well, and your property tax goes up, and it never goes down. No. Every piece of equipment that you've got is a year older and depreciates out. It gets older and older and older. But there's no such thing 
when it comes to property taxes. They, you, you can argue with them. They might give you a little bump if you go to the board, but they go up and up and up. But yet, any improvements you make, they skyrocket you. And then when, and then you go, wait a minute. I built that 10 years ago. Yeah. How come it keeps going up? So government it is a regressive system. It really is. And that's that this country was built on freedoms from government. But, you know, I, I guess growing up in eastern Oregon, which was a desert, 60% of Oregon is a desert, but they had timber that went into the Cascades and, and parts of northeast Oregon mm-hmm. and like that. And they had timber revenue, Trent, because most of Oregon's owned by the federal government, just like Nevada, not quite as high a percentage. But even the local county commissioners, the local government, they couldn't spend the money fast enough. They had enough for in the from the 1900s, the money that was thrown at them because a percentage of that money went back to the counties and the states. They shouldn't even have, they should be living off of the interest. Yeah. But no, sir, you give them a thousand bucks, they want to spend two thousand bucks. And I don't know how to cure that. The, the I, fiscal responsibility within government is zero. I think I'm getting this quote right. Kelly's got a quote up in the house. She has it posted around different places. And I think it's Thomas Jefferson. Democracy ceased to exist when government takes from those willing to work and gives it to those that are not willing to work. Yep, that's Tom. He was in. I was in the same class with him. He got <laughs> set up front because I sat way in the back. <laughs> Did you learn anything? Did you copy off of him or what? <laughs> I should have listened to him. <laughs> hey, guess who yeah, I had? I mean, guess who I had on the roll route Friday? Uh, another person. It was another person, and we we're talking Tom about Pence. the same type of Tom issues. Pence? That, no, it wasn't Tom Pence. William Perry Penley. Former. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> former deputy director of the Bureau of Land Management. And, uh, he was, he got his first claim to fame yes. during the Sagebrush Rebe- uh, Rebellion. Yes. He was interesting. And, and, and been completely demonized. By the people Absolutely. who want to do the very same thing that Thomas Jefferson said. Yeah, exactly. Government control. And and it's out of control out here. It You can't believe how out of control it is. Well, we we bring you on every right Monday now, just, just to remind us how out of control it is. Yeah, we're, we're, we're the canary in the coal mine. I hate to use that metaphor, but, but with 87% federal control, we get to see every morning. What can happen? I mean, whether it's the wild horse issue where they gather 2,000 head of horses to keep them from starving to death, and there's 3,800 of them left in in that unit, and you're supposed to have 167. Yeah. little imbalance, but you can't do anything about it. We're just lucky they got what they got. Mm -hmm. Then you have the issue with Southern Nevada Water Authority out here, who the environmentalists, will do anything in the world to get money and power so they looked the other way when they wanted to build a pipeline fortunately the federal courts threw it out twice 
but yet they're still got illegal permits on the BLM and the Forest Forest Service is plain as day. 2019 handbook. No federal, state, or county agency can hold a permit. They got four or five, I think. I I know they got at least three. It's BLM. You're supposed to be a citizen, a naturalized citizen, or an application for citizenship. There's nothing in there about water companies can hold a permit. They can buy a ranch that has a permit, but they're not supposed to be competing against private enterprise and running livestock. There's an oil well company, my my, uh, compatriot. Uh, has to deal with them. They go over. I had the I had the water company personnel knock holes in water troughs, take the control box, cut the waters to a well, all these kind of things. And the PLM government, federal police will not even return your phone call. They ain't gonna touch it. There's an oil company over in another valley that got into the bug dust, which is nothing but volcanic in the bottoms of these valleys, alkali, and they got to driving through it. It got so bug dusty, so powdered out. They just took a cat and made huge mountains. You can't do that. Anybody go to jail? No. And my friend has a well that's for the pump water to his livestock where in, in the, you got choices. 127-year drought or 1,200-year drought. And he took the control box down, not unlike SNWA, but it was his well to do it. It's his water. They went and bought another control box. He calls the federal police. They won't touch him. And whether you believe in what Bundy did or not, Bundy still got his cows out. But then the Hammond folks up in Oregon, mm-hmm. they have nothing but a nightmare going. So the double standards that the... the the elitists or whatever they are, whoever they're scared of, get whatever they want. And maybe it's always been that way. Maybe I think it has always been that way, but it's certainly magnified now. What is the latest on Hammonds? Bring us up to speed on that. I talked to Dwight night before last, and uh, it's kind of to the point where they don't even want to talk about it. It's just a matter of it's either going to happen or it's not. They do not have their Uh, permit at the moment. No. Okay. To my knowledge, they do not. And, again, it, this is confiscation because the, in those allotments, there's a lot of private land, but mm-hmm. the cost of fencing out the BLM is horrific. So, uh, you know, the old homesteaders homesteaded the water, and that gave them uh, the right to the range, you know. Control the water, control the range. That's the way it was. I, and, and it's all for punishment for having stepped up and questioned the authority of the federal government. That's all it amounts to. And they're being taught a lesson so everybody else powers in the corner. And like a whip pup. That's, that's all it's about. It has nothing to do with what's right and what's wrong and what's constitutional. They've dragged their feet. We're still trying to get some FOIA reports. Uh, the N4 Grazing Board is trying to get FOIA reports. And they said they had 600 pages, 10 cents a copy, like it was going to break the outfit to get that. And they sent us 60 pages of gobbledygook. Absolutely no transfer authority whatsoever. Just crap. Because they don't have anything. Yeah, I, I still Except can't get, I, I, Hank, I still can't get my mind around the checkerboard aspect. 
you have your own deeded property that happens to be checkerboarded inside, uh, whether it be Forest Service or BLM, and consequently you can't use your own deeded property. There's just something really wrong with that, just, just because you can't build a fence. Well, you could, but you've never, you know, first of all, a lot of those, along those creeks are in canyons. Uh-huh. They're in really tough places. And, and, and the cost of the fencing is practically prohibitive. And then you eliminate your pasture. Yeah. Uh, you know, the checkerboard is north of us. And I, and I don't think those people have a much better show than we do down here. Right. Well, we're 97, 98% federally owned, but if, well, I'm fencing up, I fenced up a parcel, and it joins this property, and it gets a, the cattle, because we, the horses have ruined our winter range, we're buying hay for more money than we've ever had to buy it for, and more of it, we're probably going to have to bring our cattle in, again, like we did last year, and feed them on private land well yeah, this yeah you can feed them on private land when we get back protect the harvest continuing to keep these property rights on the forefront big fundraiser coming up details at protecttheharvest.com last segment thank vogler after this yeah i can't tell you enough how important protecting property rights are every single thing that we deal with today is an erosion of the property rights in fact i'll go so far as to say the taxes that we pay and then We'll talk, we've talked about that with Hank, but the amount of taxes we pay, and then at the end of the day, we have to pay more taxes to pass it on to the next generation. That's part of our property rights, too, and we just willingly go along. I'm not saying that Protect the Harvest is working at saying helping you not to pay taxes. What I'm saying is that we have incrementally been giving up our property rights for quite some time. It's time to stop that where we can, and that's exactly what the network of Protect the Harvest does. Get more details about the upcoming event in Ohio and the event that's happening in your county that you can be a part of the solution. ProtectTheHarvest.com Cows are not destroying the environment. Pigs are not polluting the water. With many people on social media spreading lies about what we do in agriculture, I had to stand up. I had to stand up and tell our story. I had to try to educate people about how farmers and ranchers take care of not just animals, but the land, water, and resources that we need to raise the animals. I had to tell them how we work with veterinarians and nutritionists and meat scientists to develop the best-tasting, healthiest meat you can find. If you join 4-H, you too can learn about the science and technology of agriculture. You will also learn how to speak up for what you believe. Being a leader means standing up for all that matters. Learn more about the Nebraska Extension 4-H Youth Development Program at 4-h.unl.edu. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside Hank Vogler. Had to shut him off while he's feeding on private property or grazing somebody else's land or, you know, something. Well, it it amounts to I can put some some cabby cattle up there in the spring. They can they've got little drawers and places they can kinda of get out of the weather. And so it'll have a value to me. And we won't get near as much pneumonia as we did like you know, these these old wet meadows down here mm-hmm. are sub irrigated pretty much. Uh 
again, if they pull the water out from underneath, it won't matter. But again, it, it, it's an opportunity not to do anything but have a better place to calve and put out that $280 hay. Golly. Hey, I heard about an outfit last week in Nebraska that was selling hay $200 a ton. You come and bail it. Wow. <laughs> wow. And what does that cost you? That'll cost you, what, $30 to get it roadsided? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, And then put it on a truck and haul it somewhere. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, price of cattle's up a little bit. Price of sheep's up a little bit. Uh, the drought, I can't find anybody that wants to feed my uh, replacement ewe lambs, but i got to have them in order to stay in the business. I mean, there's just What are you offering? Maybe I'll feed them. Uh, I'm offered to have them, you know, grown out. It's what I want. So, what are you offering to but, do that? Maybe I'll jump up to take that, take you up on that. I'll just become a sheep herd. Well, uh, there, it's got a, it, it, it's got to uh, ring clear, which would be a cute word for. <laughs> I don't know if it would be profitable or not. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a couple miles between you and me. Yes, the freight would be horrific. Yeah, because they would. You could probably put six hundred head on the truck going over there, and probably put three hundred fifty on the truck coming back. Yeah, yeah, and you can't get so, a truck for less than four dollars. Probably going to five soon. A loaded mile. I, I think they already got five dollar fuel in in California. You know, I don't know what's going on with this fuel thing because uh, Friday I had a really good meeting with South Dakota stock growers and Spearfish, South Dakota. And when I left Spearfish, I kind of needed fuel, but I got to Rapid City, and Rapid City is always higher on fuel. In Nebraska, still, you can buy diesel for three hundred four, maybe three hundred nine, and they wanted three sixty five to three seventy in Rapid City. So I thought, well, I ain't, I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I know it's cheaper. So I go to Wall, which is sixty miles down the road, Wall, South Dakota, same price, three sixty five. So I, I caved. I said, well, I guess I, I got to have fuel. I got to have fuel. I go thirty miles down the road farther to Kadoka, and they're three nineteen. How, how can they? I don't well, understand is it, is this, pr- this diesel price. Well, and and for so long, diesel price was higher than gas, and now it's a few cents lower. But I don't mm, know property not, taxes. Not in my travel. All of the things that, that, that go in, in into putting the gas out. If you got a nice convenience store. Mm-hmm. You suck them in by selling them the gas at, at a lower price, and then you sell them uh, a can of sugar for twice as much as it's worth, or whatever. Yeah, well, they sell a lot so, of cans of sugar in the gas station. Yes, yes, it's candy bar. You know, well, until, just the sugar until drinks. Until I cut my pancreas off, I never knew about all of that, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> just the sugar drinks available in a gas station today is unbelievable. I mean, the whole thing is full of sugar drinks or monster drinks or caffeine drinks or something. And nobody can figure out how come they, they haven't seen their shoes for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of self-evident, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. It just it just goes on and on and on. Uh, the hypocrisy is, is overwhelming, you know. Uh we have so much convenience that 
again, the gas station chums them in. Mm-hmm. They got uh, with the uh, gas prices, and they've got everything in there that you can imagine. You can get uh, all sorts of varieties of food and all sorts of, of stuff. I mean, it, that's that's what gets you, I believe. Well, so. I I got to be honest, and I never thought I'd say this, but in my normal travels, I stop at the fuel stops that not only have the best price of diesel, I won't forfeit any price of diesel, but most of the time it's about the same. But then I go with the one that has the best chicken. They got lots of fried chicken, don't they? Well, I mean, the chicken folks, you got to give them credit. They have figured out how to make their product convenient and to be eaten on the go. And kudos to the chicken people for doing that. Why why haven't beef, pork, and lamb followed suit? We can't even come close. I I think one of the things that has happened that darn sure did in the sheep industry had a steady market in the restaurant trade. The rest of it went into the uh, dog food or secondary products, whatever. It didn't matter. It was just they didn't have to call up. They didn't have to hustle. They didn't have to do anything. The cowboys got out there and at least tried to get, you know, beef as what's for dinner and all those things. But you just... You know, you got to continually evolve. That's all it amounts to. Uh, We're no longer 160-acre homesteaders. Yeah. Uh, This is a dirty, tough, big business. And because it has become such a small group of people, and God help us because of basically we have to be conservative to survive, now we're under full frontal attack from the people who Thomas Jefferson so succinctly described as the non-workers. And if you think about it and look at do you know more kids were killed with gunshots in Chicago, Illinois that died of COVID? Oh, I and, believe that. And they've got the, they've got the strictest gun laws practically in the United States. What's wrong with this picture? Mm-hmm. They could pick on us and talk about genetics and talk about pesticides, herbicides, all of these things. And you even bring it up, and it, it it's crickets. Just do, 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 do. nobody wants to hear it yeah. because everybody's intentions were so good to help the downtrodden, to help to help everybody, and and punish people's success. That's why they hate sports. I don't watch sports because of overpaid crybabies, political thing. Yeah, yeah. but ungrateful no overpaid crybabies. Yes, there are no four foot eleven centers on the basketball team that are there because of politically correctness. You want to be a professional athlete, you've got to bust your backside day after day after day, and you've got to be the best. And it's the same way in business. Maybe you and I should start a professional basketball league where you cannot be six foot tall. If you're five (laughs) eleven or under. But if you're 5'11 or under, you qualify for the Vogler Loose Professional Sports uh, uh, League. If you're six foot tall, you're and too tall. And guess what? It, and guess what? As soon as the money started rolling in, we'd be lo- there would a lawsuit. be competition. No, there'd be there a lawsuit. Discrimination lawsuit. Probably. Yeah. But also, also the people that are five foot eleven and smaller would be in competition to make the teams. It'd be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, look at boxing. Look at boxing. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, everybody's name was Rocky Marciano. 
and 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 the you know there were there were uh, Basque people. There were people that were in the ghettos. One of the escapes of getting out of the ghetto was being a good fighter, a good boxer. Then it went to uh, people African. I you gotta call them. I, they say it so much, but people uh, African Americans. Now there's lots and lots of Mexican people and there are Hispanics and there's lots and lots of people involved in boxing that are other races from Europe, from Russia. They got out of the ghetto by being tough, but not by being mamby pamby. And it's the same way with athletics. You you I don't care what you have. You've got to be good at what you do. And to punish people for doing that, it's wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, we've almost made it. I mean, we have like three minutes left, and you haven't mentioned labor once. You got all your labor problems fixed, eh? <laughs> well, not really. I, we're doing better. We got some more guys going home. Uh, the embassy in Peru uh, sees no urgency whatsoever. They've got some of these guys scheduled in the next year, and I got four guys going home in November. Uh, got to replace them. Hopefully, we'll have snow this year. That'll cut down quite a bit. I mean, the guy missed the bus. He was supposed to be at the airport yesterday uh, in in uh, Elko, and he got in there at ten fifty eight last night. Yeah, well, at least he got there. Yeah, so he got there. Uh, the guy the other day, same thing. He missed the bus coming out. Of, you know, I mean, just there's always there is always something that you have to live with. But the biggest impediment of all is our own government. Yeah. By the way, here's a good one for you. My stepson is going back to China to visit. He has to go to Kuadong for 14 days in some sort of isolation hotel. That's his, that's his first stop. Then he has to go to Shendu and spend 14 more days in isolation before he can go see his family. One month. He has to, to go home because of the COVID deal. And, and it's got to be because he's, I think, because he's coming from the United States. Punishment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Do you know that, that... That is ridiculous. Do you know that Andrew this morning on Across the Pond brought some figures that are just weighing on my mind heavy? He walked through about the last 10 years in the number of global flu cases, and they have ranged from 37 million to 41 million a year for the last 10 years globally. You know what the number of flu cases was? Death or, or infection? No, infection. Yeah. You know what the global flu cases was for last year? And is there any truth to the fact that the hospital, if they write COVID down, that they yeah. get absolutely. a different pay rate? Yeah, absolutely. Nobody disputes something. that. I've had people con. I had somebody last week said a family member died. Uh, it was not in any way, shape, or form related to COVID. And the hospital literally asked the family, would you mind if we list this as a COVID death? I have a member of my family that adamantly denies that, said that is all bull crap. Oh, that's, not, oh, that's not true. I, well, I didn't think so either. But, yeah. you know, when you're at, a, at your granddaughter's wedding and you, you and, maybe uh, don't want to make know, a scene. You're trying to be polite. Yeah. You, yeah, you don't want to you know, get yeah. in the gravel and roll around on the ground. So and <laughs> you just, okay. 
have a nice day. And I would like to close with uh, the listeners of Roll Route on a daily basis know that my brother is on his eighth day. A 45-year-old brother, by the way, Hank, is on his eighth day on a ventilator in a hospital. And um, we just need the continued prayer warriors to speak out for Troy Luce. That'll do it. We have journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America for another day, Monday, with Hank Vogler. All of us remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route.